This is 21. Last week I was uh, serving in the back, had the privilege, privilege of serving in CBC back there. So Rich filled in for me, so we're going to finish where he left off. Genesis 21, starting here in verse 22. We're going to do verses 22 through 34 tonight. Now, to be honest with you, there's really just a couple main points. Because this is a really interesting story, and as you first read through it, I like these type of passages. Because as you first read through it, you kind of say, okay, nice story, what was I supposed to get out of that? The story is pretty simple. There's this guy by the name of Abimelech. He comes in and he talks to Abraham. And he basically says, hey, we're both living in the same area. Let's make a treaty together and let's be friends. They say, sure. And there's this one little detail that needs to be worked out. There's this well that they're kind of having a dispute over. Now, back during Bible times, especially when you're living in that area of the world, wells were very important for water. So there's this issue of who gets the well. So Abraham basically says, hey, I'll give you seven sheep. It's my well. Abimelech says, thanks. Nice doing business with you. Chapter ends. Now, as you first read through that, you kind of say, why did I just waste ten minutes of my life? How is that supposed to grow me in my walk and my relationship with Christ? That's why I love these passages. I firmly believe when Jesus talked about how every jot and tittle... Every passage of the Bible has something to share with us. I love these verses as you look through it to stop and say, Okay, Lord, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? What can I apply to this? And so let's see what happens at this. Verse 22 of Genesis 21. It came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me, my God, that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, that you will do to me into the land in which we have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Simple thing. God's with you. Let's make a peace treaty. Let's all sing kumbaya and be happy. And that's what they did. What can we take out of this here? First things first. We've got a few slides here tonight. Dustin, can you put the first one up here for us? I, I find this really interesting. Let me kill the lights up here so you can see it a little bit better. First off, that phrase Abimelech. This guy Abimelech has been mentioned many times before. And in a couple chapters, he's going to be mentioned again in dealing with Isaac. Now, you can take this in a couple different directions. Either Abimelech is the same guy that they're going to be dealing with for potentially 20, 30, 40, 50 years, or more likely the name Abimelech is a title. And so during the Philistines area here, that this guy Abimelech would maybe be equivalent to the idea of king or leader. Is it the same guy? Could be the same guy. More likely this is a title of whoever was ruling at that time. So the leader, he brings his general, and they say, we want to work at this together. But the phrase that really hit me is verse 22. God is with you. And all that you do. This guy Abimelech saw the Lord moving and working in Abraham's life. That is what's supposed to happen in our lives. Your co-workers, after being around you for 8, 9, 10 hours a day, should be able to tell you are different. Your friends and family members, after being around you, should be able to tell you are different. They should realize your language is not like the language of the world. That you don't dress and act like the people of the world. That you are called, you are set apart, you are different. Too often this is what we see in the church. People that claim to have a relationship with the Lord, speak like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world. How are you supposed to be different? God has called us out. And so I put these verses up here because this phrase really hit me. God is with you in all that you do. Abimelech saw something different in Abraham. Do people see something different in you? First verse, 1 Peter 2.19. 
You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are called, look at these words, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're special. We are not like the world. That doesn't mean we're better than the world. I've seen too many Christians act like they're better than the world. No. We're called out. We're called to be something different. Do people see the Lord in you? Are you proclaiming Him? Look at the next one. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do people see your lifestyle as an extension of a representation of God? That's what we're here for, is to be a light and a witness for Him. Look at this last one, 1 Timothy 4.15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Find the person that will be the most honest with you. The most honest. Not some trite little, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're friends, we're family, you know I love you. No, find the person that will be brutally honest with you, that's known you for an extended period of time, and ask them, do you see spiritual progress in my life? Have you seen changes in my life? Do you see me growing in the Lord? There's this great men's study that we do out here. It's called Measure of a Man. And any opportunity I have to get to do that with a guy one-on-one, and if there's any guys out here that you're looking for a one-on-one study, I love it. But the reason I love it is because at the end of all the study books, it asks you to go to your kids, to go to your wife, to go to whoever close to you, and ask these very prying questions. I know for me, if I want honest answers on how I'm doing spiritually, I just need to ask my oldest child, Elias. And he will give me the breakdown, the good, the bad, and the ugly. One thing that we've been working at at the Irvin House is this idea of gentleness and, and softness in our words. One of the verses we've been working on is not, not your words be harsh, but soft words. So anytime the boys get upset or frustrated, we say, hey, how are your words? Are they harsh words or soft words? They're Proverbs. So one of the times came up. We were sitting at the table doing devotions the other night. And so we talked about how we're supposed to have our words be soft, not be harsh. And I said, now look at mommy and I. I said, we really try to make sure that our words are soft towards each other and not words of harshness. I said, do you see mommy and I yelling at each other, upset, screaming at everything? I said, do you see that? All the boys said, no, we don't see that. Judah goes, well, I do. I said, well, when, when did we do that? He goes, well, it was six weeks ago. It was a month and a half. I don't know what happened, but he's got it marked on the calendar. He'll be in counseling the rest of his life that six weeks ago, mommy and I used harsh words at each other. I don't even know what he was talking about. But in Judah's world, it happened. They're honest. They're honest. I always know this. When someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, I want you to be honest with me. I always know they really don't want me to be honest with them. They don't. Is your progress evident to all? There was something in Abraham where Abimelech stopped and said, God is with you. Isn't that one of the greatest compliments that people could give you? They just see you in your day-to-day life, at work, at home, whatever, and they stop and they say, I see the Lord in your life. Can people see the Lord in your life? Are you a chosen, royal, special people? Are you proclaiming the praises? Are you letting your light shine? Are you letting your progress be evident to all? Are you separate from the world? Or basically, could I not tell you apart from the world? That's the first point I see here. So, they got this business deal that goes down, and they say, yep, we're going to be good with each other. No problems, verse 23 to verse 24. Verse 25, then Abraham rebuked Abimelech, 
because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor I have heard of it until today. What an interesting thing. So basically they make this deal, and Abraham says, yeah, but i got this one thing I need to tell you. Your servants took over one of my wells. Now that's a big deal. I want to reiterate that point from the beginning. Back during Bible times, this is a big deal. A good supply of drinking water. So Abimelech's response seems to be pretty honest. Verse 26, I didn't know this. He goes, why didn't you tell me about this? Do you realize how often we do that as brothers and sisters in the Lord? Something bothers us. Something frustrates us. So instead of telling the other person, we just kind of sit on it. Turn, if you will, to Matthew 18. This is where it gets interesting. There's something in the Bible, the book of Hebrews talks about this, and it's called a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness is where somebody has wronged you or you have perceived that you have been wronged, and instead of dealing with it, you kind of quote-unquote let it go, and it just springs up in your life, creates roots in your life, and it just, that bitterness eats at you. Just eats at you. Someone gave me a quote years ago I've never forgot where they said, Bitterness is like you taking poison and hoping the other person dies. The bitterness affects you. See, what happens is there's these interesting words in the Bible. It's found in Ephesians. First word is called a foothold. Where it says, be careful not to give Satan a foothold. A foothold is, I looked it up, it's literally that. It's a little hole to stick your foot in. Imagine you're trying to climb up a mountain and you got this little uh, thing of rock you can put your foot on. It's a foothold. You can put your foot on it. Well, here's the interesting thing. Footholds, next step in the Bible is called a stronghold. A stronghold is a fortified defense area. This is what I think happens. This is how Satan works. You get bothered by something. Once again, you've been wronged or you can see, perceive that you have been wronged. So next thing you know, there's a little bit of a foothold. You're not letting it go completely. You're, you're hanging on to it just a little bit. That creates then a root of bitterness that we just talked about in Hebrews, which then becomes a stronghold in your life. And next thing you know, that frustration, that bitterness, that anger has overtaken you, and it is so encamped in your life that it can't be pushed out simply anymore. What's the answer? Don't allow bitterness to take root in your life. Don't allow the enemy to get a foothold in your life. And my goodness, the Bible says, according to Corinthians, you need to tear down strongholds through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. How do you do this? Well, Abimelech and Abraham, maybe Abraham should have told Abimelech a little bit earlier here. This is a verse, and we're going to talk about Matthew 18, that would change the church if people would do this. This is one of the biggest sins that happen in the church. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Do you realize how that would change the church? I'm bothered by what somebody did, so I go to that person alone, one-on-one. I talk to them one-on-one. I don't bring anybody else into it. And me and this person just work it out, hash it out ourselves through biblical means. That would change the church. What do we do instead? We get offended, we get bothered. And we say nothing. Bitterness becomes foothold, which becomes a stronghold. Or we get bothered and upset, and instead of going to the person that bothered or upset us, we tell 20 other people. And we have all these crazy excuses. Well, I don't feel comfortable talking to them about it, but I sure feel comfortable talking to you about it. 
And what happens is bitterness becomes foothold, becomes stronghold, which then also becomes gossip and division, etc. Can you imagine if somebody did something that bothered you, if you would just simply say, Lord, please open a door. I just want to go talk to them. And it's not a confrontation. It's not an argument. It's just, hey, you said this. You did this. I don't know how you meant it. It came across this way. Can we talk about it? Not telling anybody else. I have tried to learn over the 15 years I've been a pastor, if somebody comes up to me bothered by what somebody else did, when my first response is, I sure try to do this to say, have you talked to them? Because talking to me is not going to help. But this is what people say. I just feel better if I could talk to you and get it off my chest. That is a temporary fix. The long-term fix is you going to that person and dealing with it. And if they usually say, oh, I don't feel comfortable, I usually say, smiling, you sure felt comfortable enough to talk to me about it. Guys, this would change the church. This would change your marriage. Can you imagine if you wouldn't hold any bitterness or footholds or strongholds in your marriage, if your spouse did something you didn't like, if you would just simply go to them and prayerfully say, hey, can I talk to you about this? Can you imagine how that would change relationships at work? Now, this doesn't really work with non-believers real well. I can't imagine at work you sitting down saying, Hey, can I read you Matthew 18, verse 15 real quick? But in the concept of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, come on, you've all seen it. I've seen it at Harvest. I've seen it in any church I've ever been associated with. And I'm sure you've seen it at every other church. Well, so-and-so is upset with so-and-so. Why? Well, because they did this. Well, have they ever talked about it? Not that I know of. But we all know about it. Paul, when he was writing in Corinthians, there's two gals at the church of Corinth that weren't getting along. You know how Paul handled it? Called them out by name and said, go work it out. That's all he did. Can you imagine if up on a Sunday morning we had our list here? Okay, here's the list of everybody not getting along at harvest. Alrighty, uh, Fred and Bill, I don't know what's going on, but you guys need to go work it out. If you want to go in the kitchen for a little bit and talk it out, that'd be great. We'll pray for you. Can you imagine? That's exactly what Paul did. For all of eternity, it's now recorded that these two women were having a spit. And Paul just said, work it out. Sometimes I also see good-meaning people try to be peacemakers where they try to get in the middle of something. And really, we just need to step back and say, come on, you guys are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Someone's got to be mature here and work this out. Matthew 18, verse 15. Go to him and him alone. I need to talk to you. Well, if it doesn't work, verse 16, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. This is not a gang up. This is a, hey, I tried talking to you about this. I brought a couple people along with me because we don't want to see this become a division. We don't. Then it builds from there, verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. There are steps that need to be taken. You don't start bringing in the church really to step three. Now you may be sitting here tonight saying, okay, this, this isn't really applying to me. This is what I've noticed. It may not apply to you at this moment. It may apply to you in the future. But you may run into somebody. See, you may be the sounding board. You may be the person that someone comes up to you and says, well, I'm really bothered by what so-and-so did. Well, hey, according to Matthew 18, you're supposed to go talk to them about it one-on-one. Have you talked to them? No, I don't really want to talk to them about it. But what they did really, nope, I'm sorry. I can't go here right now with that conversation. The biblical response is for you to go to them and them alone and talk to them about it. It would change the church. 
if that's what we would do personally, if that's what we do when something else would pop up, if we would point people towards unity and reconciliation. Satan loves to use division over the tiniest things. Jesus specifically prayed for unity. If we are fighting each other, how can we be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? All of our energy is used arguing. What good does it do then to spread the gospel? Abimelech and Abraham, hey, let's hash this thing out. Let's work at this. And that's exactly what they did. So we'll stop here real quick. Has anybody got any questions, comments about anything? The first two points there. Point number one, people seeing us as a light and a witness and people seeing God in our lives. And number two, this issue here of Matthew 18, working those things out, taking care of it. Anybody got any quick things? All right. Let's move on then. Let's see what happens in verse 27. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba. Beersheba there means that idea of oath. Sevenfold oath is what it means. Called the place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Pishkel, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Two more quick slides here. Dustin, can you do the next one? Just so you guys can see here, this is where Beersheba is at. If you look, it's the red town all the way down at the bottom. Beersheba is the southern edge of the kingdom of Israel. So what you see here is... Abraham is still on the just the edge of the promised land. So he's only he's not near Jerusalem. He's not near anything else, as you can see. So he's at the southern edge. And in case you're wondering, next slide real quick, Dustin. That is what a tamarisk tree looks like. I had no idea. Google images. So there you go. That's what a tree looked like there. Now, a couple final things to say here. I find it fascinating. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. Why did he plant it? That was a visible reminder of what the Lord did. This is an ongoing theme here in the book of Genesis. I wrote these passages down so we wouldn't forget them. In Genesis 8, when Noah got off the ark, what did he do? Set up an altar. Genesis 12, when Abraham was first visited by God and given this promise, he set up an altar. And did another one in Genesis 12 again. Genesis 13, God sent him back to the altar to remind him what he did. In Genesis 13, you see another altar. You see in Genesis 26, Isaac making an altar. Any time in the book of Genesis that the Lord did something amazing in someone's life, be it Noah, be it Abraham, be it Isaac, be it Jacob, they all created an altar as a visible reminder of what the Lord has done. Now, we could still do that today. That would work. But I think sometimes we just need to do something a little more simple. Can you go to the book of Joshua, please? I recommend one of two things. Joshua. Joshua 4. Visible reminders are great to remind you about what the Lord has done. Maybe He just got you out of a huge storm of life. I know this sounds silly, but Dawn and I have done this. Maybe he just got you through this huge storm of life and you are so thankful for what he did. Go to Walmart, buy a $5 rose bush, and go plant that thing. Every time you see that, it will be a visible reminder to you of God's faithfulness in your life. Or something even more simple as a family, do this get a notebook. 
Get a notebook that you keep near the dining room table. We do all our devotions when we're sitting there at the dining room table. And keep that notebook near. And when the Lord has done something amazing in your life, maybe somebody was very sick for a long time and they're feeling better. Maybe you just did something simple for us. We just got back from vacation. Hey, safe trip to and from. Take that notebook out, write the date down, and just say this is what the Lord did. It's amazing to go back and relook over those things of what the Lord's done. And you know what? I first heard that. There was a gal that I went to college with, and she was really big into the journaling thing. And I first heard that, I thought, that sounds like the cheesiest thing in the world. I have grown to love it. I have absolutely grown to love it. To look back and say, oh, do you remember when the Lord did this? Oh, do you remember that? And then you have this moment. I still remember distinctly this one thing that popped up. Popped up six years ago. I was so nervous, so worked up about it. Went off perfectly smooth. To this day, I still have a memorial stone in my mind of the Lord has done that. I encourage you to do it. That's what they did in Genesis. Visible reminders to what the Lord has done. If you don't want to go out and have altars or rose bushes or flowers in your yard, that's your choice. Get a notebook. Write the date. Write what the Lord did. Remind yourself. Have it as a family. This is what the Lord wanted them to do in Joshua chapter 4. Time does not permit us to do the whole chapter. But basically, this is what they did. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. And so what happens is he basically says, Hey, guys. Every tribe of Israel, 12 tribes, somebody from your tribe, gather one stone from one side of the river. We're going to cross the Jordan, and as we cross the Jordan, we're going to take those 12 stones and set up an altar. So when the question comes up of why are you doing this, look at verse 20 of Joshua 4. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he had dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that he is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Visible reminder for future generations to say, this is what the Lord has done. I encourage you to do that as an individual. I encourage you to do that as a family. I encourage you to do that as a couple. A great way to constantly remind yourself, look what the Lord has done in our lives. Because it's amazing. We, we have these issues that pop up that create such fear, worry, anxiety. And, and we're all worked up. God answers the prayer. And we kind of say, amen, and we move on. Let's set up a visible reminder of that. Let's write it down. What a beautiful picture that is. And that's something you see Abraham doing, Isaac doing, Noah doing, Jacob doing. Anytime the Lord did something mighty, plant a tree, build an altar. Visible reminder here of what the Lord has done. And I think it's a beautiful picture that we can incorporate into our lives as individuals. So it's really look easy to look at the end of this chapter and kind of say, okay, Abimelech, Abraham, made a deal, took care of the well, planted a tree, move on. Yeah, that's what happened. But what you also see is this. Abimelech saw God in Abraham's life. Do people see the Lord in you? Number two, you see Abraham and Abimelech working something out, saying, let's just be honest here and work through this. And then you see this final thing of Abraham saying, I want to honor God and the memory of what he did here. And I'm going to do that permanently by planting this tree, calling this place Beersheba. And what a beautiful picture that is. And these are all things we can learn and apply to our lives as well. All right, does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up? All righty. 
Oh, if nobody's got anything, we'll go ahead and close. Last week, when I was helping in the back with CBC, um, I saw them looking at the clock. And I said, somebody, you guys look at the clock a lot. And Jason said, he goes, yeah, he goes, you always run late. I said, it's not my fault. I said, I try to be done teaching. I said, it's those people that always have questions, comments. So I just want to let you know I threw you all under the bus. I just want to let you know. So Jason thinks the reason we get out late is because of you, not me. So please don't change his opinion on that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to do these things, those those three simple things. Help our lives to be such a light and a witness that people see you in us. And Lord, if there's something in our lives that is not glorifying to you, it's time for it to change. Help us to make those changes in you. Lord, if there are any issues that ever pop up or somebody that we know issue pops up, help us to be biblical about it, to encourage them one-on-one. Go deal with that. Go pray with them. No division, Lord, but unity. Please, in the name of Jesus, protect our church from that. And lastly, Lord, help us to always remember what you have done, to never forget the memory of what you have done. Help us to build those altars, be it literally or just write it down of what you've done. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.